I invite you to go in your Bibles to John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. We might want to read actually from verse 53 of chapter 7, which is part of this section. They went, this is the word of God, they went each to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in, a, in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they say to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her. And at once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. He said, and Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sing no more. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your grace, love, and compassion, you send your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who came to die on the cross, pay for our sins, to redeem us, to justify us, to declare us just before you to pay with his blood for our salvation. We thank you that these are the good news that you have offered to the world, that anyone who believes in the Son will have eternal life. We thank you, Lord, that we don't deserve to be in this place, yet you have welcomed us to be in your presence, to hear your voice, to be ministered by you. We thank you for your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me start by taking the elephant out of the room or speaking about the elephant that is in the room. And for, for some of you, it might not be an elephant because if you are no very detail-oriented, you might not notice something that 
in your passage, this passage that you have just read, if you go back to your Bibles, you look at it, the passage is in brackets. And when you see the passage in brackets, then you look down to the bottom of the passage, it will tell you that this passage uh, is not found in all the earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of John, but in later manuscripts. And in some manuscripts, they find this passage in the book of Luke. And that, may, that might make you wonder what is going on. And I tell you that that's true. It's known in all the early manuscripts. And there has been uh, discussions back and forth between scholars, uh, wondering if this should be actually in the Gospel of John or any other part in the New Testament. But something that most, the majority of the scholars will agree is that this story is real, that this is a real story that happens. So I'm going to join Arsis Prol in what he said about this issue. And from there, we're going to move on to focus in what the text tells us. So let me read to you what Arsis Prol tells about what I just told you, that the passage is in brackets. The text that is perhaps the most interesting in the whole story is the one before us in this chapter. Frankly, the best manuscripts from antiquity do not include this story in the Gospel of John. The overwhelming consensus of textual critics is that it was no part of the original Gospel of John, at least no this portion of John. At the same time, the overwhelming consensus is that this account is authentic, is apostolic, and it should be contained in any edition of the New Testament. Whether it belongs here in the Gospel of John, in Luke's Gospel where some ancient manuscripts place it, or somewhere else, is a question I leave for ages. But I believe it is nothing less than the very word of God. So I will treat it as such in this chapter. And there is where I'm joining Sproul. I believe it's the very word of God, and we are going to look at it together as such as the very word of God. So there are four things that I like us to see from these verses. This is a beautiful passage. Uh, I love what uh, Bob was saying in his prayer because he's speaking about the heart, the heart of Jesus. But it's not just about the heart of Jesus, but it's about the heart of the religious leaders, and it's about our heart as well. So the four things that I want us to look at together is the heart of the scribes and the Pharisees. Second, which was the title of last week's sermon, No One Ever Spoke Like Jesus. Third, the heart of Jesus. And fourth, our heart. Our heart. So let us start by looking at the heart of this Christ and the Pharisees. So we know actually that the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, 
hated Jesus. They hated Jesus. And this is no surprise to us. Jesus knew that not just that the religious leaders hated Jesus, but many other people hated Jesus. Jesus himself said this to his brothers. The world cannot hate you, referring you, my brothers, blood brothers. But it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Jesus started his ministry and he proclaimed good news to all the people. But as he was proclaiming the good news, he was confronting sin that it was in front of him. And self-righteous people didn't like to hear that message. And among them were the religious leaders, the scribes who were the theologians of the time, and the Pharisees who were the uh, conservative political party of the time. They did not like what Jesus was preaching. Not just they did not like it, but they wanted to capture Jesus, put it in prison, and kill Jesus. They hated Jesus. And we saw last week that they had sent officials who were Levites, also part of the religious leaders, to capture Jesus, to apprehend Jesus, to bring him to them so they could get rid of Jesus. But the officials came back to them and said, we couldn't. No one has ever spoken like this man. No one has ever said the kind of things that Jesus has said. They were afraid that they would be doing the wrong thing because they have never heard somebody speaking with such an authority. Therefore, they came back to them saying we couldn't do it. The religious leaders were not happy, challenged them. Who else is believing? Who of the Pharisees are believing as well? All these people are stupid. They don't get it. They don't learn. They don't know the law of God. Then even one of them, Nicodemus, said, wait a second. We might be going against the law of God. We need to hear the man to know if what he's saying is true or false. Oh, are you one of them? Are you also from Galilee? Have you not read the scriptures? They were upset about Jesus. They hated Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. So Jesus left, and then he came back to the temple. Why? Because he wasn't afraid. He was not afraid. Jesus was not a people pleaser. He didn't have to please anybody. He's God. Therefore, he comes back to the temple and he started to teach. Started to teach the gospel of grace to people that sat there to listen to God speaking to them. Then we have that the scribes and the Pharisees had an idea. Now we're going to bring this woman who has been caught in adultery and place her before Jesus to question him, to ask him what is he going to do about it to see how he responds. 
How do we know that this is a plan? Because John himself tells us that this they said to test him. They didn't come to Jesus to know what to do about this situation. They didn't come to Jesus with real questions of their heart. Remember, they were the religious leaders. They didn't need to come to Jesus to ask him what to do about adultery. They knew the law of God very well. But they are coming just because they want to find a way to charge Jesus, to bring a charge against him. They want a way to get rid of Jesus. So picture yourself the situation. Jesus is preaching. Jesus is preaching the gospel to, to this crowd. He's speaking about grace. He's speaking about the good news that he's bringing to them. And all of a sudden there is this noise getting into the room. And there you go. The religious leaders put the woman in front of everybody in the middle of the room and ask Jesus, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, if you understand the law and their practices, this didn't mean that they saw the woman walking with a guy somewhere on town or uh, holding hands or, or they saw something that looked like she was committing adultery or a post. No, they didn't have that at that time. It means that no one but two or more people saw the woman in the act of intercourse with another man. That's what it means. When they said that they caught that woman in the act of adultery, is that the woman was having relations, sexual relationships with another person. Now, what is curious about the situation is that they only bring the woman. And quiz people will ask, where was the man? Why they only bring the woman? In fact, they say that the law of God says that condemn us to stone such women. It's not just the woman. If they will go by the law of God, they were supposed to stone the woman and the man. So a good question to ask is, where was the man in the story? And some people might say he, he ran away. They, didn't were able, they weren't able to capture him. Well, I think that's suspicious because we see that they were only doing this to test him. So when, when that happened, I start to feel suspicious about anything that is happening around the story, the moment. Now, one commentarian actually said something that I think that is interesting. This is why this, why did the witness, the witnesses, did not, why they didn't stop that from happening. Because it means that they were there when that was about to happen, and it happened. And if they really have grace and desire to to stop sin from happening, they could have stopped them. And I would say this is just an interpretation that a commentarian has to say that there you can see even the heart of the religious leaders. They only wanted 
to have the woman in front of Jesus to see how Jesus will respond to the situation. The scribes were willing to get this woman stoned in order to kill Jesus. Listen to that. The scribes, the religious leaders, were willing to get this woman stoned, killed, in order to kill Jesus. That's the heart of the Pharisees. They hated Jesus. They had an evil plot. The evil plot was set up. Why? They wanted to challenge Jesus to know what he would answer. If Jesus says, um, let us forgive her, then they will say he's going against the law of God. Because the law of God is very clear about that, right? And if he will say, let us stomp her, then he will be speaking against the message of grace that he was bringing to people. And some commentarian will also argue that he will actually will break it, will be breaking the law because they will be able to accuse Jesus before the Romans saying that, look, he's asking us to stomp this woman and only the Romans have the authority to uh, execute capital punishment. So it wasn't a good question. He didn't confront a good heart. Now let us uh, move to no one ever spoke like Jesus. They said this to test him. They were, they were only interested in finding an answer that will give them the opportunity to kill Jesus. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. All kind of speculations have come on what was he writing on the sand. I tell you at least one, but I'm telling you, this is just a speculation nobody really knows. Some people have said that probably he was writing the scenes that those who were accusing the woman were committing. Killer, liar, but they were not there. And there are no tests that will help us to see this. But he sits, he sits down and he starts to write on the ground. And, and think about this. All these religious leaders and the political party of the Pharisees were getting anxious because, because they, they wanted Jesus to be killed so badly that they said they kept on asking him, what do we do? The law of God says this. Jesus here, what do we do? They knew very well what they have to do. They didn't have to come to Jesus. Then Jesus stood up and he gave this masterpiece answer. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Deuteronomy 17.7 says, The hand of the witness shall be the first against him to put him to death. So, 
It means that those who saw the act of adultery were supposed to be the first one, the first ones, throwing the stones of the woman. Jesus wasn't breaking the law. He wasn't annulling the law of God with these words. He was saying, he didn't say, um, I'm saying I'm here to correct what the law of God says. Don't, don't follow the law of God. He says, okay. I just want you to do something about this. And this is that you check yourself and then you threw the stone. With this, Jesus wasn't saying also that discipline cannot be administered by somebody unless that person is sinless. That the person has to be without sin in order to administer the discipline that God has uh, decided. Jesus answered this way to them because he knew their hearts. He knew their hypocrisy. He knew that they didn't come to him because they had real questions about what to do with a woman who had committed adultery. He knew that they did not care about the woman, that they were willing to get the woman stoned in order to kill Jesus. If they would have come to Jesus asking him, Lord, what do we do about this? We have been hearing you preaching about grace, the gospel, coming to you, eating from you, drinking, having eternal life. Now, how do we do with your message? How do we compare that message with the Old Testament? How Help us to understand that we're looking for discernment. We don't know what to do about this. I think that if they would have come with a sincere heart, Jesus would have made time to explain the gospel to them. Yes, the law of God says this. And this proves that somebody has to die. But I'm here to take care of that. Jesus did not explain the gospel to them because they were not interested in the gospel. Their question was not a question from their hearts. They only wanted to kill Jesus. Therefore, Jesus said, all right. Yeah, that's what the law of God says. Let us start. First of all, who was the first one who saw the the woman? The witnesses. You, you, come. You are the ones who have to do it first. Wait. Do you have sins? And then it keeps going. I think that it's interesting that then Jesus sat down and he continued writing on the ground. He's like, I think that that's telling us how in control he was in the situation. He was no stress. I was talking with a friend this morning about uh, that baseball pitcher of the Phillips, who is Suarez, who is, he, he's, you don't feel, you don't sense any fear when he's pitching. Maybe you might disagree with that day we won. The following day we lost because he wasn't there. That's my theory. But Jesus was in control of the situation. He was just riding in the sand, just waiting, letting his words sink in the heart of the scribes. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. 
Why? Why beginning with the older ones? Sometimes we have, I don't know uh, who shared this with me, but there was a question that was asked to one great theologian regarding his struggles with sin. This young man is asking him as if he thinks that he does not have his struggles anymore because he's older and he knows the law of God well and he knows the scriptures well. And he said, no, you know, I continue to struggle, right? Beginning with the older one, I think it means that beginning with those who knew the law of God very well and those who enjoyed the respect of everybody, they were the first one living. I guess because the younger ones, they were still like having their doubts in their minds. Maybe I can, or, but when they start to see the older ones, they said, well, I guess I'm a sinner as well. No one ever spoke like Jesus, right? Such a wisdom. Who would have come up with an answer like this? They had everything ready to capture him. Whatever he would say, they thought, they thought, they thought this well. There is no way out of this trap. They are out one by one, beginning with the older one. Now let us move to the heart of Jesus. Jesus stood up. No, first of all, they left, and they, the, the only two people standing there at that place were Jesus and the woman in that moment, in that instant. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. No one. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, from, go and from now on see no more. Let us just think about, for a moment, about this woman. Because we've been talking about the religious leaders. How did she feel being in that place? Shame. Her sin was public. Everybody was aware of what she was doing in secret. Probably coming to the place, they were making noise, and everybody was hearing what was going on, and at the moment, they, they are there all listening to her shameful acts, and then she was completely shamed. But also... Very fearful. She, w- she knew what was coming. Think for, think for a moment. Being killed with stones. One by one. The first one, I don't know. If, if, if there is grace, the first one might hit you in a place where you die immediately. If that, that would be Grace. But if you have some people who have no good, they are no good in targeting, she will be hit many times before she died. And that's what she was going through when she was there. I'm just trying to say this to you because sometimes we read these stories so mechanical that we don't think about what people experience and feel when they are in that moment. That's what she was feeling, great fear, Great shame, 
in the middle of all these men who were their judge. See, she see one by one leaving. I guess she started to wonder what is happening here. What is going to happen after everyone leaves? I guess when Jesus asked her, where are they? Probably by that time, I think that probably by that time, she's already thankful that she might be thinking that her life is spared or maybe it's Jesus the one who is going to stone me because he's sinless. But Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on see no more. Here is the question. How can Jesus then forgive this woman? Somebody might say, Jesus is God. He can do whatever he wants. But God is just. And this is his law. He can forgive this woman because he is saying, neither I condemn you, go. He is thinking about the cross. It's because he will pay on the cross for this woman. The scribes were willing to get this woman stoned in order to kill Jesus. Jesus was willing to give his life in order to save this woman. The reason why he can say to her, go, neither I condemn you, is not because Jesus is breaking God's law. It's because Jesus is fulfilling the law. It's because Jesus is taking her place on the cross. He, she is justified. But also, there is a call for holiness here that we see in the passage. Go, and from now on, see no more. Similar words we have heard before when Jesus healed the paralytic and then he pursued him at the temple and said, make sure that you see no more, that something worse will happen to you. Jesus has empowered this woman to live a new life. Jesus has given the power to this woman to live for God, to live for Christ, to abandon sin. It doesn't mean that she will not sin at all for the rest of her life because we will all sing until we die. But it means, what it means right now is do not go back to this practice of sin in your life. And Jesus is saying, now you have the power to do that. Go, sing, no more. The, fa- the heart of the scribes and Pharisees, the heart of Jesus, how about our heart? Sometimes we can be like the Pharisees, quick to judge others, quick to throw the stone, quick to open the scriptures and take the place of those who are accusing sinners. Again, this is no that Jesus is saying church discipline is no important. That's also in the Bible. But he's saying that even when we apply church discipline in the church, what we seek is the restoration of the sinner. That the sinner repents. That he comes back. That's the goal of church discipline. 
But the Pharisees didn't have that goal. The Pharisees wanted the woman killed and Jesus killed. That's all they want. And sometimes we act like them when we are not seeking the restoration of the sinner. Sometimes we can be like the woman. We are before Jesus. And our sin is right before our eyes. And we can think that there is no way we can be forgiven. Here is a reminder for us. In Christ, through Christ, Christ says the same thing to us. If you repent, if you confess your sins, if you trust in me for salvation, that's what Jesus is saying to each one of us. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. There is hope for all of us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that we see in this passage, the love and compassion that is displayed by our Lord Jesus Christ toward these women, toward each one of us. As you have told us the same, when we have come to you, confessing our sins, trusting in you for salvation, you have said, I don't condemn you. I came to save you. Go and sin no more. We thank you for that. Help us to be agents of this grace to those that still don't know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.